Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So as I um, mentioned, I've, I've been away for a while. I was um, I was teaching uh, in uh, Europe, in Austria, and in Finland, um, meeting the communities there, um, and then uh, went to England and uh, sat. Uh, a retreat myself uh, at Gaia House, which is a really uh, wonderful meditation center in uh, south of England um, that's been there for putting on retreats for, oh, 25 years or so, 30 years. Um, And so sitting, it was a, a retreat actually that started out as a retreat with a teacher, but the, the teacher um, uh, ha, was had to uh, pull out of the retreat because of uh, some serious health issues, and it turned out to uh, to be a self retreat. Um, so um, got to look at this mind. Always uh, an interesting. Um, exploration and journey uh, and uh, appreciating practice. Um, every time I sit, uh, it, and I've been doing it for quite some time, uh, it both um, amazes me that this stuff really works. And after a, a few days, it's some space that opens up um, and also amazes me that uh, there's still patterns and uh, thoughts that that arise that um, <clears throat> that will probably be there till well will be there until one is fully awake. And, uh, but the thing is, it's so comforting to know that you don't have to get rid of anything, just kind of seeing it. Oh, look at how the mind goes there and goes there. And the, the, the great gift in practice is uh, learning to not take it personally. Uh, as soon as you take it personally, you're in trouble. Have you noticed if you take your mind personally uh, and you say, oh my God, Goodness, I can't believe I'm still stuck there. Uh, then it's very painful. But if you see, oh, look at that. Oh, look at how the mind goes there. And you're uh, not having a problem with the thoughts, then uh, there's more and more freedom. And to, to whatever extent there's some space and, and mindfulness, um, one can see it more and more clearly and be less and less hooked by one's thoughts. Uh, and I just thought that I'd share with you a teaching that I, I, I love uh, of the Buddhas um, on this uh, process of purification. Uh, this is from the uh, um, Numerical Discourses, the collection, the Anguttarnakaya. Uh, and I'll there's two parts to this, and I, I, I don't know if we'll get to both parts this week. Maybe I'll, if not, then I'll do the second part next week. Um, but I, I'll just read you the teaching first, and then we can explore it together. Um, there are, my friends, gross impurities in gold, such as earth and sand, gravel and grit, Now the skilled goldsmith, 
first pours the gold into a trough and washes, rinses, and cleans it thoroughly. When the goldsmith has done this, there still remain moderate impurities in the gold, such as fine grit and coarse sand. Then the goldsmith rinses and cleans it again. When the goldsmith has done this, there still remain minute impurities in the gold, such as fine sand and dust. Now the goldsmith repeats the washing, and thereafter only the gold dust remains. Now the goldsmith pours the gold into the melting pot and smelts it, melts it together. But the goldsmith does not yet take it out from the vessel, as the dross has not yet been entirely removed, and the gold is not yet quite pliant and workable and bright. It is still brittle and does not yet lend itself to molding. But a time comes when the goldsmith repeats the melting so that the flaws are entirely removed. The gold is now quite pliant, workable, and bright, and it lends itself easily to molding. Whatever ornament the goldsmith now wishes to make of it, be it a crown, earrings, a necklace, or a golden chain, the gold can now be used for that purpose. Similarly, in the case of a practitioner devoted to practice, there may be such gross impurities as unskillful conduct in deeds, words, and thoughts. Such conduct, the follower of the way, gives up, puts away, lets go, and relinquishes. When one has abandoned these, there may still remain such impurities of a moderate degree, as lustful, angry, and violent thoughts. Such thoughts, the follower of the way, gives up, puts away, lets go, and relinquishes. When one has abandoned these, there may still remain such subtle impurities as clinging to relatives and loved ones, to nation, or to one's reputation. When one has abandoned these, there may still remain grasping to special states of meditation. Thus, concentration is not yet properly calm or refined. It has not attained to full tranquility nor has it achieved mental unification. But there comes a time when the practitioner's mind gains firmness within, settles down, becomes unified and concentrated. With such a concentration, the practitioner is now able to direct the mind to the states of higher insight and liberation. Get the idea? There are many motives for practice. Some people practice to um, open their hearts. Some people to be free of suffering. Some to fully awaken and know the highest freedom and happiness some for self-acceptance or uh, to, uh, to be more at ease within themselves. Lots of different motives for practice. And I just want to uh, put out to you as we're, we're sharing this, your motive for practice 
is your particular um, source of motivation. And so don't feel that you need to have enlightenment as your uh, prime motive and anything else doesn't uh, doesn't count. Whatever, wherever you happen to be, and for you it might be, oh, there's just a whole lot of sorrow or pain inside and I just want to come to some kind of ease and acceptance of of that. That's absolutely fine because one's motive can change over time. And whatever it is that's... Mm, uh, uh, that's fueling your practice is absolutely fine. In fact, I'll uh, I'll, I'll share with you a, a story of uh, the Buddha's um, a story of a, a Buddha's disciple who uh, actually is a, the, one of the Buddha's cousins. Who, when he came, uh, when the Buddha came back to his hometown after he was enlightened, six years after he first left. Uh, and everybody was so excited and swept up by uh, the, the aura and the glow of, um, of this uh, enlightened being that um, lots of his family and his, his clan joined the order. And this fellow um, decided to join However, um, he was about to get married to his uh, girlfriend. Uh, and after he joined, he kept on thinking about her. And he thought, well, did I make the right decision here? I don't know. And he was really, uh, he had a lot of lustful thoughts. And you can take this story on whatever level you want and... Uh, uh, if you relate to it, fine. If you don't, it's okay. But just as, just to show you that there's lots of different motives to practice, and the Buddha was was getting uh, uh, had tuned into this guy, his cousin, and uh, he said, uh, "Hmm, having a hard time, aren't you?" And he says, "Yeah, I just can't get her out of my mind. She was so beautiful. I really just want to be with her." And the Buddha, through supposedly psychic power, gave him um, a vision of a celestial nymph. And he said, uh, what do you think of her? And the guy said, wow, you know, holy cow. I thought my girlfriend was hot. She doesn't compare to this. And the Buddha said, if you practice really hard and go all the way to full enlightenment, I'll promise you 500 celestial nymphs. The guy really practiced. Right? And as the story goes, became fully enlightened. And as soon as he did, he saw the absurdity of the promise and uh, he absolved the Buddha of, of coming through. Uh, <clears throat> so whatever motivates you, practice works. But one particular motivation that I've found um, powerful for a long time now, particularly... Um, after the uh, very strong motivation to become enlightened um, what has been uh, seeing this as a process of purifying the mind and the heart, just as that, uh, that discourse shares. If you are motivated because you want to know what the Buddha knew and become fully awakened, that is a fantastic motivation. However, sometimes it can work against you if you're feeling that, oh, I've got so far to go, 
I'll never get there, or, oh, look at my mind, how pathetic it still is. And that kind of motive can work against you if there is the comparing mind. But one motive that I've found will always serve is if you see this as an ongoing process of purifying the mind and heart, where as long as you are facing in the right direction and more and more you're seeing clearly and not having that, uh, those hooks that normally catch us uh, have their power over you, even though you don't have to get rid of them. The, the purification comes from being less and less at their mercy. Mm. And this idea of purification is a very um, valued one in the teachings. One of the great commentaries on the Pali Canon, one of the main, the main commentary on the Pali Canon, uh, the, the, the teachings of the, of the Buddha that came down uh, after he passed away, is this very thick um, two-volume um, work called the Visuddhimagga. And the Visuddhimagga is translated, the, the actual translation is the path of purification. That this is seen as a path of purification. The first volume is... Uh, is developing concentration, tranquility, learning how to focus the mind. And then the second volume is, as the mind has gotten focused, to go to deeper and deeper levels of insight and wisdom. So this refinement of mind, as, as the Buddha talks about, is something that uh, I just want to put out to all of us to see that uh, this isn't a, uh, a binary kind of ideal. Either I'm, uh, I'm clear or I'm confused. Actually, in, in one sense, it is in each moment binary. You're either seeing clearly or you're confused. But but more and more, as you see, more and more and more, the, um, the chances that you get stuck or that you are believing in your thoughts diminish over time. And as I, I often say, um, uh, if you press the right button, I can be back in third grade with mm, insecurities and uh, all kinds of neuroses. Ramdas used to say, oh, you become a connoisseur of your neuroses the more you, you, you practice. Uh, but what's happened over time uh, is that, as, as with most people, they don't last so long. Um, so instead of getting lost for months or weeks, it might be uh, you know, a, a bit shorter than that. Um, and if you see that as the direction that you're heading, then all you need to uh, concern yourself with is the fact that you're facing in the right direction and that your sincerity of practice, every time you see that you've gotten lost and confused or confused, is, I think, a moment of celebration. Even though it's humbling to see, oh my goodness, I'm still there. But if you celebrate and see, oh, I see you, like, the Buddha saying, I see you, Mara, as uh, if you're uh, not familiar with, with that figure, Mara is the embodiment of confusion and temptation and evil. And Mara would come to the Buddha, 
He was the one before the Buddha was enlightened that tried to knock the Buddha off his seat under the Bodhi tree and uh, threw at him desire and uh, and and uh, arrows of fear and attack. And then he said to him, the last thing he said, you know, what makes you think you have the right to become enlightened? And you probably have seen, see, is there any Buddha statue here? where the Buddha is touching the earth and saying, as the earth bears witness to all the work I've done, I have a right to be enlightened. So Mara is this embodiment of confusion. But as I've mentioned here before, Mara came to visit the Buddha after he was enlightened. And there's a whole sequence in the Pali Canon called the, uh, the, the Mara Samyutas, where, oh, there's 20 or so vignettes of Mara coming to the Buddha. And uh, one that I love, Mara comes and says, you know, you call yourself an ascetic? You call yourself a real renunciate? You're sleeping four hours a night. What kind of a wimp are you? You know, like, come on, who do you think you are? And... As the Buddha always says, I see you, Mara. You can't get to me. I see you. Now, if Mara can come into the Buddha's mind, cut yourself a little slack. You, know? you don't have to get rid of those thoughts. It's just seeing them, oh, I see you. I see you, Mara. How simple that you don't have to get rid of anything. But just in the seeing, there is the purification. And sometimes it's humbling to see all the things in the mind or to see what you've done, particularly after you've, you've done something hurtful or that you regret, you know, in that, that whole process first he says uh, about seeing the actions that have caused harm. You see them, oh yeah, that's the first level of purification. Unskillful conduct in deeds, words, and thoughts where you've caused harm to others. And this can be a source of you know, tremendous pain as, as we all know. So there needs to be a genuine reflection and what's called wise remorse where you see, oh, wow, what did I do? And you need to process it. You can't just say, oh, well, that, those things happen and, you know, uh, it's cool. No, he says, to really process and understand the consequences of one's actions, but to understand them in the light of more and more having a commitment to wake up. If you see them and say, oh, well, that's what people do, so, you know, hope it doesn't happen again, but you never know, then uh, good luck. But if you see it and let yourself actually uh, feel the pain with tremendous compassion and seeing, oh, this is how it feels when I realize what I've done uh, and the consequences of one's actions, Ah, this in itself is that path of purification. In, in another discourse uh, where the Buddha is talking to his son, Rahula, he says, and I've mentioned this here before, it's Majima number 61 for any scholars in there, Majima Nikaya number 61. He says, you might have the thought to, uh, to do something that might be skillful or might be unskillful. And he says, if you can reflect, hmm, where is this leading to? 
and then see, is this leading to suffering and you don't want to suffer? Then don't go there. And if you see, no, this is, this is leading onward in a good way, then you can go ahead and, and do it. But then he says, you might not realize until you're in the middle of the action as you're saying something unskillful. And he says, if you can stop and reflect, hmm, where is this leading to? Is this unskillful? Or is this skillful? And he says, if you can stop then, right in the middle of the action, and see, hmm, no, this is not heading in the right direction. He says, stop there and save yourself a whole lot of grief. But then he says, you might not realize until after the words are spoken or the deed is done. He doesn't say, go ahead and beat yourself up. He doesn't say, lay it on. No, he says, use wise reflection and wise remorse and see, how did this feel? How did this feel to do this action? And he says, if you can, uh, speak to somebody who you really respect and confess your uh, transgression and if you can make amends um, which always opens to opens the heart a bit more and most importantly learn from your experience because as long as you're learning from the experience it's not wasted as one of my uh, uh, inspirations Julia Butterfly Hill says as long as you're learning then there's no mistakes. Then nothing is wasted. And if you can commit at that point, no, I don't want to go there again, then in a way that is honoring that unskillful act and using it as a springboard to, to change, to change your ways. So when you look back, on unskillful things that you've done and you say, oh my goodness, I can't believe I did that. As has been mentioned here, you know, when you cringe, cringing is really a good sign because it means you're a different person than you were. So this is part of this path of purification. And if you look back over your, your um, dharma journey, your dharma life, and you see that there's been a change, don't, don't look back and feel discouraged, or don't, don't look ahead and feel discouraged by how far there is to go. Look ahead and see, oh, how much more there is I can learn. But even more helpful, look back and see, oh, I've been learning. I've been going in the right direction. I'm no longer the person that did those things can, and can do them now. How good that is. The, the Dalai Lama has a, a good index. He says, if you've got to look for progress, a lot of people are progress oriented. Sometimes uh, it's known as mikdharma, where you, you you want the the quick the quick hit. You know, well, when am I gonna? When are all the goodies gonna come? And the Dalai Lama says, if you've got to evaluate yourself, then look over five or ten year periods, rather than. Um, last month or last week and just see, ah, more and more I'm learning self-compassion. I'm learning forgiveness. I'm waking up a little at a time, but I'm facing in the right direction.
And uh, even if at the beginning of practice you have the idea here in your mind of where happiness lies and where um, ease and wholeness lies, but you're not quite there in your actions, um, don't be discouraged by this. Because part of the process of purification is first even just getting a conceptual understanding. Is this on? Is this going on? Does it go? Is it going in and out? Is this? How is this? Is it on? Huh? It is okay. Um, that. It takes sometimes, it takes a while for the ideas to become embodied. So even if it's, oh, I got the idea, why aren't I there in my actions? All you can be is where you are. You can't be any farther than where you are. But as long as your commitment is to face in the direction of further, of more and more growth, this is good enough. It's the commitment that you have to waking up that is going to keep you moving onward. And any kind of judgment about where you're not is the thing that is keeping you stuck in um, self-criticism and uh, and discouragement. I love that um, passage. I've I've shared it here at times. Ramdas says uh, about purification. He says, uh, as you further purify yourself, your impurities will seem grosser and larger. Understand that. It's not that you're getting more caught in the illusion. It's just that you're seeing it more clearly. The guardians, the lions guarding the the gates of each inner temple get fiercer as you move deeper and deeper towards the depths of understanding. But the light gets brighter too. So seeing this as a natural process of purification where when you see, instead of being humbled, feeling appreciation, that shifts the whole process. I love that Pema Chodron line where she says, uh, take delight in that which sees the dukkha. That is... Take delight in the fact that you're seeing it and there's an awareness that's seeing it. So I hope that you can uh, hold your practice in, uh, in this context. Put the report card aside. Put the finish line aside unless you find yourself very inspired uh, by it. And just know that you're facing in the right direction and take this next step as consciously as possible and learn what you can each step along the way. So I think I'll stop here and um, just see we can have some, uh, some conversation, discussion, either comments or questions that come up from, from this or about practice in, in general. Anybody have something to? So, yeah. So, um, one of the things that you said that struck me was, uh, in terms of the um, uh, getting rid of impurities. Um, the, Real know, close to your mouth. What? Real close oh, to your sorry. mouth. Oh, yeah. sorry. Um, one of the, one of the last things is letting go of attachments to loved ones mm. and that that's uh very a very challenging notion i wanted if, if yeah. you could wondered if you could comment on that mm. 
Say a, what, hold on. T- keep the mic. Say say a bit more um, from your own point of view. Um, it's sort of well. It seems to me like uh, sort of that's you know one of the things that makes us human is 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 attachments to loved ones and 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 may, maybe there's a way to to sort of have compassion and and show love without without being attached or maybe it's a way of interpreting the word attached but um it's some something i've discussed with people mm-hmm. okay so um first of all we have karmic connections to to people in our lives and uh, it's a kind of mysterious thing how some people we feel a, a deep affinity for and a love for and of course people in our uh in our families uh how wonderful that we feel that connection and caring uh and and again to to not be anywhere other than where you are uh it's a it's a beautiful thing to have that kind of connection where the heart opens and the thought or the sight of somebody opens your heart tremendously. And of course, there's going to be grieving and loss when they pass away or when you're uh, disconnected from them. However, if you're if you're committed to full awakening and freedom, it's not that you don't care. It's that you see the the difference between love and attachment. And not to be anywhere other than where you are, but to see, as the Buddha said, uh, to realize that everything and everyone near and dear to you, you will be separated from. And although there can be pain there, that to the extent that the heart is contracted and there's fear of the inevitable, um, there's going to be um, pain, suffering, um, anger when we can, or resentment when we love somebody and we th- and we get very attached and think, oh, they've got my love, and if they go away, or if they're with somebody else and having a a, a good time, then they've taken my love with them and to see this is where your love is and somehow they are a catalyst for it and to to love is an expansive quality metta is an expansive quality and the pain of love is the near enemy the pain what we call the pain of love jealousy attachment that is not meta in the purest level. So, again, this is that's one of the later refinements to see this person is somebody who is has been very important to me and is very important to me, and I'm so grateful and glad they're in my life. But at some point everyone and everything near and dear to me will be separated from me. And the more we can honor the connection and learn to let go when the inevitable happens, the greater the sense of peace. And actually, the greater the kind of connection it is because then there's not that that fear that's, um, uh, that is coloring that connection so it's just a it's just a practice in seeing the uh, teasing out the wanting mind 
from the expansive mind. Here's a, actually, here's a little bit of a, here's an exercise. I, I do this in the Awakening Joy course. Just try this. Everybody can, you, you can try this. Close your eyes for a moment and uh, think of somebody that you really love. It's really important to you. And uh, you might imagine them right, right in front of you and see their smiling face. They might imagine them smiling back at you. Oh, thank you for picking me. And just first send them some love. I really want you to be happy. I, I hope you know how much I just enjoy and delight in your happiness and well-being. May you really be happy. And as you're sending them this kind of, these kinds of thoughts, just notice how it feels inside. I'm so glad that I know you. May you really be happy. Notice how it feels in your body and in your mind, in your heart. And now, think of times when you want something from them, when you don't want them to disappoint you, or wonder if they're going to come through, or have an agenda for them in some way. And notice how it feels inside to want something from them or hope they don't blow it or afraid that they won't be around. Just notice how it feels now in your mind or in your body or in your heart. I won't leave you here. Take a nice breath. And now once again, and you might put your hand on your heart in case you're, you've gotten a little contracted. Once again, just send them some thoughts of well-wishing. May you really be happy. And just remember how much you just delight in who they are. May you know how delighted I am that you're in my life. May you really be at ease and peaceful. And once again, notice how it feels in your body and in your mind, in your heart. You notice any difference? The very same person who opens your heart in one moment, in one thought, oh, that's the difference between metta, true loving kindness, and the near enemy attachment. So, yeah. if you don't want to suffer, stay with the the expansiveness, and notice the attachments with that same kindness. Oh, yeah, it's part of being human, but you don't have to be run by it. Yeah. Right. Kenny. How you doing? Um, is it Marta or Mara? Mara. Mara. Oh, Mara. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, Here, uh, close to your mouth. Yeah. Is, he, uh, is he like... You say he's embodiment of confusion and, and lust and and all that. Um, is that from like within the thoughts that come in from within, um, or is it an actual? Yeah, thing? I mean, you said that he came at him and tried to knock him out of his seat when he was in the tree. So it kind of gives you the impression that he's out here. But mm-hmm. um, really, what I'm thinking it is is that the it's thoughts that arise in here and. Um, and 
and it's and, and, and like you shouldn't you know like like you said see it for what it is and not believe it you know that's where you really don't want to believe your thoughts yeah you know there's uh, one can take it on um lots of different levels uh, a, a metaphorical level uh taking it in a way that really makes sense to to one i don't know if there's if there's an actual Mara, for me, it's always made sense to see this is the part of the mind that gets that gets confused. So, whatever level really resonates for you. Anything else? Mm. Either we can bring up about practice too. Yeah. Hi, it's, it's been a while since I've been here. Um, I was really struck by the, in the teaching, the word unification. And to me it's... Purification. U- no, unification. Oh, unification, and yeah. And I wondered, that really caught me, and I hadn't thought of it as part of this, as part of the, what emerges. And I'm, I'm hearing it related to the idea of commitment, but I don't know how, how it's meant. Um, unification is... When the mind, you know, if you, you know, you take a look when you meditate, you see how scattered the mind is. It's here, it's there, it's everywhere. And then over the course, if you've done a retreat, uh, often the mind starts to quiet down more and more. And there's, there's less, uh, your, your, your thoughts don't take you away for very long. Uh, and then more and more, the unification of mind is another way of saying um, collectedness, samadhi, concentration, uh, deep states sometimes of absorption. It's like uh, there's that line by, um, line, that teaching of, of Jesus uh, goes something like, if, if, if thine eye is single, then one knows the presence of God, you know, then one sees the light. It's, it's that capacity of the mind to be undistracted and completely collect. And in that concentration, there's a, a kind of penetration through the confusion that we normally find ourselves lost in. And in that penetration it's possible to pierce the veils of ignorance. And, and that's where concentration is one of the links of the Eightfold Path. And the Buddha talked a lot about collecting the mind enough to have that penetration that can lead to a, a deep awakening. So unification is, is a, 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 a good... Um, way to understand that you're more and more collecting and not getting confused by that scattered mind that usually runs us. Okay, anything else? Okay, so let's uh, have a little bit of a loving kindness to close. And uh, just looking, looking back on your Dharma journey, uh, whether it's decades or years or weeks or days, first get a sense that you're facing in the right direction. If something has touched you that um, makes you want to keep on exploring this and practicing, how amazing that you've been touched by the Dharma and knowing that your commitment to face in that right direction is the thing that will keep pulling you onward.
And then you might also look back and see how you've grown. How you've grown over however long you've been practicing. How you've become more conscious. How you perhaps have become more patient with yourself or others or life. How you perhaps have become a little bit more trusting or kinder. Even though you might blow it from time to time and your humanness shows, just get a sense of the development and let yourself celebrate it for a moment. And get in touch with your commitment to keep growing and waking up. And then send some loving, kind thoughts to yourself. May I wake up more and more to my true nature inside. May I learn more and more to not be run by my confused thoughts and hear the ones that really support me. And may I learn to share my love well. And then to share this with everyone here and out to all beings everywhere. May all see their true nature. May all learn the power of waking up. And may all um, know the highest happiness. And our time here together, may it ripple out and be a benefit to all beings everywhere. Thank you very much. See you next week. We'll do part two, refinement of mind.